Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 81. Sodiq Yusuf versus Edson Barboza and my friends. It's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got one of the most dynamic and destructive knockout artists in the history of the sport, Edson Barboza who at this point is a legend taking on the upcoming stud. So Yusuf, who is looking to get that marquee name under his belt is looking to na- make a name for himself and is looking to start his title run. So, I mean, this is truly what a UFC fight night main event is all about. And there's nothing else to say, but let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Sodik Yusuf. He's 13 and two, taking on Edson Jr. Barboza, who's 23 and 11. And currently, they got it. Sodik Yusuf minus 162. The comeback on Edson Barboza is plus 142. So, unbelievable fight, unbelievable main event. And uh, there's so much to say about it. When you talk about a guy like Edson Barboza, you're talking about one of the most prolific KO artists in not just UFC history, but in MMA history. We're dealing with a guy that's knocked people out with leg kicks, body kicks, body punches, head kicks, spin kicks, punches. I think the only thing that might be eluding him is an elbow knockout. Does he have an elbow knockout yet? I don't think he has an elbow knockout yet. He's got flying knee knockouts. I mean, all he's got to do, all that's left for him to like complete, you know, the art of eight limbs is go out there and get an elbow knockout. So, I mean, Edson Barboza, he really is a legend. I mean, when you talk about one of the best hammers in the history of the sport, I mean... It's got to be Edson, Edson Barboza, you know? So we're just grateful to have witnessed his entire career and the fact that he's still going strong at 37 years old. And, you know, there's been ups, there's been downs, but he always seems to pick himself back up, you know, when, when people start counting him out and people start saying that, okay, now it's finally over and then he'll surprise you as an underdog and, and knock someone out. So, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Edson Barboza, especially when you're talking about offensively, especially when you're talking about being the hammer. Um, one of the most fast twitch strikers, destructive, explosive, dynamic, everything. So, yeah, to my cat, Barboza, you're the man. But on the other side, we got one of my favorite, well, used to be prospects, but now is contenders in the featherweight division in Sodik Yusuf. And longtime listeners of Half the Battle know, back when my buddy James Vick had his 9-1 run in the UFC, where we used to call him Mr. 90%, and, you know, we'd bet on him every single fight, you know, for the first 10, and we won 90% of them. And he was on the show a lot. He This was back when UFC fighters were able to gamble, and, you know, he was really in the betting. He understood how the lines work and all that stuff, and... You know, he was always telling me back then that, hey, you got to look out for my, you know, 
my young prospect, Sodiq Youssef. And this is back when Sodiq Youssef was an amateur, when he had just started his, his pro career, when the guy, have you all seen that highlight where Sodiq Youssef does the Harlem shake and then he knocks this dude out? Like we're talking about back in those days. And I actually had him on half the battle back um, when he was an undefeated fighter. He was 5-0 and at the time. This was before, um, if you all have seen his first loss against Luis Gomez, where it was like the most like ridiculous throw. He got slammed on his face. He was being super arrogant in the fight, you know, taunting the guy. And it was a big learning lesson for him because up until that point, no one could do anything to him. But after that, he goes out there against Conor McGregor's teammate, Dylan Took, knocks him out in under 40 seconds. Then he gets the contender series call against Mike Davis. And Sodiq Yusuf was like a plus 200 dog in that Mike Davis fight. And that fight between Sodiq Yusuf and Mike Davis back in 2018 ended up being, to this day, the best fight in contender series history uh, to this day. Or to quote uh, Deontay Wilder, to this day, to this day. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, Mike Davis, Sodiq Yusuf, if you've never seen that fight, man, I highly recommend you'll get on it because it's uh it's an all-time classic especially at the apex where like you can hear the sounds of the shots and let me tell you there were some very heavy shots <laughs> so Sodik makes it to the ufc gets on a great run you know beats his first four opponents all decisively and gets his prospect showdown against arnold allen right 11 and 1 versus 16 and 1 at the time and it was an incredible fight between two prospects, super technical. And it was one of those fights that made me wish it was a five rounder because I do think that one thing about Sodi Yusuf, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about how physical this man is. You know, he's Nigerian. We're going to talk about, you know, the one punch knockout power. We're going to talk about the calf kicks. We're going to talk about the pressure. We're going to talk about his ground game. But one thing I really like is that, you know, you take all that aside because, I mean, you just look at a guy that's built like that and, you you know, you automatically associate that with power and explosiveness. And, and rightfully so. He's got all that. But the guy can fight, too. The guy's got real skills. Like, for example, yesterday on Contender Series with that um, the five foot eight middleweight, the guy that we were joking around, this is what we wish William Knight was. What's, I don't remember the guy's name. Lanez or some shit. I don't remember. But uh, basically, like, that's what like a physical specimen looks like when they're not developed, right? When they don't have the skills, but they just have, you know, it's fucking black explosive. He's cocked, right? Whereas Sodiq's got all the physical attributes, but he can also fight. He's also technically sound. He's good literally everywhere the fight goes. On the feet, what I like about Sodiq is he's got this very marauding style where he will walk you down without a care in the world, look at the beginning of that Gabriel Benitez fight, and he swings big. He swings hard, but it's not without intention. It's not without reason. It's not without thoughtfulness. He establishes his jab nicely. He's got calf kicks, of course, which you know, and that really added up in that Mike Davis fight. But one little nuance about Sodi's game that a lot of people don't notice is his hand fight. He's very good at trapping the wrists, getting people off their rhythms and landing shots from angles and spots that people aren't expecting them to come from. And back to the Arnold Allen discussion, 
you know, because I had Sodik on my show and you should hear what he said about this. He's got a champs mentality. I said, man, it was really looking like if that was a five round fight, you would have run, you would have won. And he was like, I hate looking at it like that because that's a loser mentality. I signed up for a three round fight against Arnold Allen. I said, listen, man, I, I respect the humility, but we can both agree that you're the kind of guy that's going to thrive in five round fights, assuming you haven't gotten your opponents out of there prior to that. Right. Because I feel like Sodik's a guy who has insane cardio and he keeps getting better as fights progress. Not that he's a slow starter because he's absolutely not a slow starter. But to beat Sodik Youssef, the only holes in his game I'm seeing, like there's not a hole, like his striking is technically sound. His ground game is on point. I mean, you all saw that uh, Kimura sweep he hit on Andre Feely. His get-up game is there. He trains at a serious jiu-jitsu gym. So I feel like he hasn't even shown what he's fully capable of on the mat. The only criticism that I would have, and, you know, I really like Sodik a lot, so I hope that if he hears this that, you know, he doesn't take offense to it, is that there might be concerns of him being a bit on the chinnier side. And the reason I say that is because the only times he's had bad moments in fights have been what him getting dropped or him getting wobbled or in the past getting knocked out. That's it. That's literally it. But his recoverability is absolutely insane. You watch that Arnold Allen fight and you saw him do a, a real chicken dance and then he just recovers right away. And then he goes on and wins that third round in a way where Allen you know, Allen, a guy who just went five rounds with Max Holloway. And I believe, didn't he win like the fourth round against Max Holloway? He was fading hard against Sodik. And that's when it when it really dawned upon me that this guy is going to really excel in five-round fights. And the thing about Edson is, as the hammer, like we talked about, as the hammer, he's probably one of the best hammers in UFC history. I mean, there's no questions asked. I mean, if you just want to get into a, a kickboxing match with, with Edson Barboza, not saying you can't win that because, I mean, he's been knocked out too. But just saying, like, he can knock any man out on planet Earth at any time and in a variety of ways. Like I told y'all back in the day, y'all remember that Terry Edom knockout with the spinning wheel kick to the face? But all the other things he's done, some of the more underrated knockouts he's had, like when he made his debut against this kid, Mike Lulo, and he uh, leg kicked TKOs him, right? Or when he fought this kid, Rafaelo Tractor Oliveira, leg kicked TKOs him against Lucas Minero Martins, knocks him out with a nasty counter shot punch, right? Against Evan Dunham, body kick to punches. Beat, you know, guys like Bobby Green, Paul Felder, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez along the way, that flying knee against Benil Dariush, the timing of it, the explosiveness. Then he takes two back-to-back -back L's. People are counting him out. And the destruction of Dan Hooker. It wasn't just that body punch that put him down. He rearranged. <laughs> I was going to say he rearranged his guts, but I know that sounds a certain way in this day and age. But like he literally did that with kicks and punches and everything. And he destroyed Dan Hooker in a way where I know Dan Hooker's taken his fair share of ass whoopings, but that one's got to be right at the top against Shane Burgos. One of the scariest knockouts we've ever seen where it was like this delayed reaction. And we were wondering, is Shane ever going to be the same? Like, is Shane alive? Like it was very scary. 
and then takes a couple L's and you count him out again. And then against Billy Q, Billy tried to put that pressure on him, takes a sloppy shot, boom, knee, the knee was right there waiting for him. So you can never count out an Edson Barboza knockout, one of the most prolific knockout artists in the history of the UFC, in the history of the sport. And although he's never won a belt, never fought for a belt, I mean, I think that some of his knockouts should be in the Hall of Fame, especially the Terry Edom one. So back to to Sodique, because we understand what the threat here is with Edson. I mean, the guy's got fast hands. The guy's got insane kicks, knees. The only thing I'm waiting for is that elbow knockout from, from Barboza. One day he's going to get it, right, to complete the art of eight limbs. Um, on the feet, he's got everything. But the issue I've had with Barboza um, is that pressure can get to him. He's very explosive. He's very fast twitch, and he's got great footwork. But when you start making a guy move a lot and uh, back up a lot and and you're not, you know, showing any kind of weakness or any kind of wilt towards his offensive onslaught, he doesn't take it as well as he gives it. Another thing, his get-up game, his takedown defense has gotten a lot better over the years, but once you actually finally do get him down, he tends not to get back up. And with Sodik, a lot of people think of him as just a banger, which, I mean, I understand why. He's a great banger, but Sodik can fight on the ground too. Sodik is very well-rounded. And... You know, talking about the Arnold Allen fight, what's interesting about that is that Sodik actually went out there and he doubled up Arnold Allen on strikes. But Arnold Allen had those two big moments in round one and round two where he dropped Sodik Yusuf, and that's what got Arnold Allen the rounds. So what's interesting about that fight is, back to my point, I truly do believe that had that been a five round fight that Sodik would have, would have, you know, he, he took over big time in the third round. It looked like Arnold was completely spent because when you're tying up in the clinch with this African savage, and it's not just the physicality, it's a guy that knows, that's got the technique and knows how to apply that with his physicality. Because, like, again, you can see a guy like William Knight, who, right, he, he's built like, like nobody's business but he doesn't have the technique, so it doesn't pan out. But when you combine the two, the physical gifts with the hard work and with the technique, I mean, that's where you have to look the fuck out. So I truly believe that in this spot, that listen, so D can be caught. We know that. We know that there might be, look, he doesn't have the worst chin. But he doesn't have the best chin either, right? It's not like a Max Holloway chin or something. But Sodik can recover. Sodik has insane cardio. He's in ridiculous shape. And one thing he told me, if you go back and check out my interview I had with him about a year ago, he told me, he said, Daniel, before I was a great hammer, I was a great nail. And that really resonates with me because I think that's going to be the difference here. I think that Barboza is going to have the issue with what's coming back at him, whereas Sodik can weather storms. Sodik can get past it. But look, it's still a Barboza fight, and although it's easy to say, well, I, you know, I'm gonna just let you know who I bet on this fight. So this is my third main event in a row where I, where I'm, 
not just picking obviously but but i'm actually betting you know we bet gamrod at dog odds we bet bobby green at dog odds but now i'm taking sodiq yusuf as a favorite in this spot and i'm not delusional i understand what the concerns are here there's a chance sodiq yusuf gets knocked out he's going up against the most prolific knockout artist in ufc history well i mean i know derek lewis might have something to say about that but i guess for the lighter weight classes right but I really think that Barboza doesn't take it as well. I think that when you start to put it on him, he starts to fade a bit. If we can get on top of Barboza, that's when I really think you can drain all the energy from him. But yeah, are there going to be moments where Sodiq possibly wobbles, where Sodiq might get dropped? Sure, I'm not discounting that possibility, but I think his recoverability is really on point due to how goddamn condition this man is and i think the longer the fight i think either guy can get an early finish of course but i think the longer the fight goes the more it really plays into sodiq's favor once he starts to find his range once he starts to make his reads once he starts to understand barboza's game you know in the flesh right that's when i think sodiq is going to really start to take over and the thing is the thing about this fight is i only think barboza can win in one way by knockout whereas i think so can win by knockout submission or decision so for those reasons and you know we can talk about the age edson's 37 it's not that big of a deal to me because with some of these legends i like look at bobby green last week like they can turn around the clock at any point right uh you saw that in that billy q fight but let me say something about the billy q fight we only think about that amazing knee he landed and it and boy, was it an amazing knee. But Billy Q was having some success standing uh, up until then. And I can tell you this. Sodik Yusuf is going to walk this man down. He's going to put the pressure on him. We know that Barboza does not like that pressure. And I do think that Barboza is going to start to wilt as the fight progresses, assuming that he hasn't knocked out Yusuf along the way. So for that reason, I took Sodik Yusuf at minus 150. I played him to win three units. That means I risked 4.5 units to win three units. And um, I think that it's going to be a well-rounded attack. I think that Sodiq can hang with him on the feet. I think that if Sodiq gets on top of him, um, that's where he can really break away. But but don't discount the possibility of a Sodiq knockout either. Um, so like I said, and I'll repeat myself, I think that Edson can absolutely win by knockout. But I think Sodi can win by knockout, submission, or decision. Um, so I have to take him here. And, you know, all respect to the legend Barboza. Amazing fighter, amazing guy. I met him in Vegas when he fought Anthony Pettis. I was at that, that card, and, you know, he couldn't have been a cooler guy. And then Sodi, also an amazing human being. I've had him on the show twice. Once when he was a 5-0 and undefeated prospect, hadn't even taken his first regional loss yet. And then again, when he was a top 15 guy and he never changed up, he was always just as cool. Um, so these are two guys just as human beings that I just have so much respect for as fighters, of course. But, you know, we have to take all that aside and we have to look at the odds. We have to look at the matchup. And I think that Sodiq should be a bigger favorite here. So for that reason, I had to take him in the spot, not just for a pick, but for a bet as well. So. So Deke Yusuf is my pick and my bet in this spot. And I think that this could be his coming out party.
Now, co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division. We got Jennifer Maya. She's 21 and 9, taking on Vivian Araujo, who's 11 and 5. Currently, they got it. Jennifer Maya, minus 150. The comeback on VV is plus 130. So the thing about this fight is that had it happened a few years ago, I would have actually taken VV in the spot at dog odds. Because one thing I really liked about VV when she first came into the UFC, she's got great athleticism, footwork, power in her hands takedown defense is off the charts 82 percent. it was 90 something percent you know a few fights back but the thing is she came into the ufc a little bit later and i say a little bit later i don't want that to sound you know disrespectful or, or anything like that um it's just that when you get into the ufc kind of in, in your mid 30s you know the window is a little bit shorter as opposed to some of these kids that are signing now you know that are that are younger and you, you know you know how it works so it's like when we were talking about marina rodriguez and yeah we picked her against michelle waterson but we said like hey she came into the ufc at 31 32 she's gonna have to make her run right now and then all of a sudden you wake up and marina rodriguez is 36 and that's the case here with viviara ujo and my thing is i thought that vivi looked very good in the alexa grasso fight you know against the champ she went five rounds against the champ Put up some very good numbers the most output she's ever put up in her career even landed two takedowns but that last fight against amanda hebosh was almost like it seemed like a bit of a decline maybe it was a matchup thing but it didn't seem like the vv that that was really hungry that was really aggressive that you know when she first came into the ufc and she had all these traits like i said like dude she came into the ufc and she like knocked some chick out with with hands and like i'm saying like with knockdowns and and like actually knocked her out and you don't see that often in the women's divisions so right away we took note of who she was and she had that footwork she had that mean streak about her and she's beat some good fighters along the way you know um you saw what she did to andrea lee and she had to overcome some adversity in that spot uh, um oh yeah and then speaking of which I think the cardio it's not that she's not running her miles it's that she goes hard so as a result she fades in fights i think there's questions about her chin as well but that last fight against rebos might be a sign that vv might be trending down a little bit which hurts me to say because i really enjoy vv's fights and i always have and with jennifer maya it's kind of been the opposite what's interesting about maya is I was never impressed with Maya. I always thought that Maya was just some boring meat and potatoes fighter, nothing special. Like, you know, decently well-rounded, but you know, just just some other stock fighter on the roster. I didn't think anything special of her, but I really think she turned a corner after that loss to Manon Fioro because these last two fights, I mean, she's been going out there and putting on putting up the kind of numbers we like against Marina Moroz, who, you know, the air striker who makes sounds and, and wins these decisions by, you know, jabbing at the air and doing all these things. And Jennifer Maya put up over 100 significant strikes there. Against Casey O'Neill, Jennifer Maya put up 145 significant strikes. So, like, these are big steps in the right direction. And I've noticed with some of these ladies that lose to Manon Fioro, they come back way better. Like, look at what Myra Bueno Silva has been on since she lost her fight to Manon. 
it's almost like it was like a wake-up call but this these last two versions of jennifer maya seems like she's trending in the right direction and like i said a couple of years ago i would have taken these dog odds on vivi and i'd love to see vivi win because i'm a fan of hers i always have been i enjoy watching her style but it seems like they're trending in opposite directions so for that reason i'm gonna go with jennifer maya to win this five-year decision now, featured bout in the Bantamweight division. We got Jonathan Martinez. He's 18-4, and four, taking on Adrian Yanez. It's not Yanez. It's Yanez, according to him. So I'll, tr I'll trust the man himself. Came from the horse's mouth. He's 16-4. and four. And currently, they got it. So here's what's surprising, ladies and gentlemen. Currently, they got it. Jonathan Martinez, minus 128. The comeback on Adrian Yanez is plus 108. So right off the bat, the line sticks out because... This is the first time that Adrian Yanez has been an underdog in his UFC career. And just from a market perspective, obviously we'll talk about the stylistics here in a sec, but just from a, a, a market perspective, you know, this guy, you've had to lay the chalk on him every single fight, including against a top five guy like Rob Font. He's minus 160 there. And had that fight never happened or had Yanez won that fight, um, I mean, he'd be a, a decent-sized favorite here. How I line it, I line it a pick him. Reason being, you got two strikers here. And, and the thing is, people just like to make these black-and-white statements. Oh, two strikers or two grapplers or two. Yeah, but how do they strike, right? And that's the difference here. With Jonathan Martinez, firstly, his signature move, that, that check knee up the middle, he's knocked out a couple people with that, and it's a devastating knee. He's a nasty kicker from the outside, and he doesn't discriminate. He'll go low. He'll go to the body. He'll go upstairs. Something I really like is how he strings his punches and his kicks together. He'll go kick, punch, kick, punch, kind of keep you guessing a little bit. His ground game has come leaps and bounds from where it used to be when he first came into the UFC. Only criticism I've had for Jonathan Martinez, you know, we, we talk about how he's a great kickboxer, and he is. But just just pure boxing for MMA, that's where he's always kind of had a bit of a weakness, and he has been dropped multiple times. I'm not just talking about when Davy Grant knocked him out. I'm talking about even back in his UFC debut against Andre Sukumtut, who uh, dropped him, I believe, twice in that fight. So the weakness from Martinez, you know, because I'm assuming these two are going to stand and bang, right, until one man falls or until they probably get a fight of the night war right i'm not foreseeing too many takedown attempts but you never know you never know someone could throw a wild card in there but assuming that these two bang it out like we expect them to it, it's gonna come down to what range this fight takes place in because each guy struggles where the other one is potent right from distance jonathan martinez is going to be getting off on big kicks Adrian Yanez ducks his head too low. Jonathan Martinez is going to have a big, a big knee waiting for him. The thing is, in the pocket, Adrian Yanez is infinitely better than Martinez. And you even watch that fight against Cub Swanson, and it was beautiful work by Martinez, the way he just systematically chopped him down. He even did well on the mat in that fight as well. And we'll talk about the, the – uh, 
Saeed Nurmagomedov Magometa fight, which despite who you scored it for, I mean, I think Jonathan was like a plus 200 dog and he absolutely performed admirably in that fight. So here, Yanez has some of the best hands in the division. No questions asked. I love how he sets up his combinations. My my issues with Yanez have been sometimes the output's a bit on the lower side, but you could give him a pass in the sense that, you know, he, he's, he's doing the Peter Yan, downloading the data, making his reads, doing all his things. But, like, you know, if you get frustrated and you try to close the distance on Yanez, he's going to crack you hard. And when he finally does find his range, his hands are a thing of beauty. And back to that Cub Swanson versus Martinez fight, although all we remember is Martinez chopping him down, there were some spots where Cub was getting off on you know, some some nice left hooks to the to the ear and little things like that. But Swanson doesn't quite, you know, he didn't have the pop he once had, and he wasn't able to generate the power he wanted to because his legs were so compromised. I think Adrian Yanez in similar spots might be able to really damage Martinez, assuming his legs haven't been severely compromised, right? Because you watch that Randy Costa fight, and Randy Costa was kicking the shit out of Yanez for about a round. But we know Randy Costa doesn't have the biggest heart in the world. And Yanez has big-time heart. So does Martinez. These are two. Uh, I'm not sure what their Latin roots are. I think Yanez is Mexican, and Martinez, I don't think he's Mexican. Is he? Is he Mexican, or is he something else? But either way, these guys fight like real Latino warriors and they're not going to quit you have to knock these men out so the thing is now we look at it from a momentum perspective right and i guess the reason that martinez is favored here is because he's the one with the momentum he's the one coming off a win over the legend cup swanson he's the one coming off a win over a nurmagomedov as a big underdog right um but from the market perspective, like I said earlier, Yanez has never been an underdog in any UFC fight. And he's fought guys like Rob Font. And now he's this is the first time we get dog odds on him. And ultimately, like I said, this fight takes this fight comes down to what range, you know, they battle it out at because they are strikers. These guys aren't gonna look to hump legs. Martinez is gonna look to keep it on the outside, fire big, big kicks. And then eventually, you know, get him worried about the kicks. That's when he can string those combinations, kick, punch, kick, punch, try to time a big knee up the middle. And Yanez is going to look to get right in Martinez's face. And, you know what I'm saying? Throw those punches in bunches and bunches and that clean boxing for MMA. You know, because I'm not saying he can go to a boxing ring and beat all these guys, but in MMA, his boxing is up there. So I personally line this fight a dead pick em, you know, minus 110 a piece. If I was the books, which I'm not, but if I was running the books, I would make you pay chalk on both sides. But the fact of the matter here is that we're getting plus 108 as of right now on Yanez, and it just seems like a massive overcorrection for me. And, like, I can't confidently say I know what's going to happen here. But I can confidently say that I think it should be lined a dead pick em. So when you're giving me dog odds on one side, just as a gambling man, you know, I'm not, I'm not planting my flag, but it's just a matter of principle, right? Not preference. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Adrian Yanez here uh, to get back on track. Hopefully his head's on straight after the loss because I know 
when you feel like you're invincible, when you feel like no one can touch you, and then you get humbled, you get that reality check. Some guys never come back the same, and other guys, you know, they go on to to do great things. Um, what's the quote about adversity? What's the famous quote about adversity? Um, hold on. Causes some men to do something and other men to do other things. What what is it? Oh, remind me what the quote is. Um, fuck, it's such a great quote. I just don't remember it. But yeah, adversity causes some men to do X and other men to do Y. Y'all, let me know what that that famous quote is. And hopefully, Adrian Giannis is the guy that. Um, oh, I think it's something about adversity breaks um certain men and adversity causes other men to break records something something among those lines right so hopefully Giannis is uh the latter right <laughs> so we'll see what happens but i'm gonna go adrian Giannis here to, to bounce back next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between michelle pereira he's 28 and 11 taking on andre petrovsky who's 10 and 1. currently they got it Michelle Pereira minus 200. The comeback on Andre Petrovsky is plus 170. So <sighs> remember when Wonderboy declined the fight with Michelle Pereira because Michelle Pereira uh, missed weight by like three pounds? And now uh, now you have to fight Shavka. You, know, you want to turn on fights the day of, and then he turned on Ian Gary after that? Well, all right, kid. Here's Shavka. You don't want that? You're out. You know, so... Uh, that's uh that's what happens when you turn on fights in the UFC. Oh, you don't want to fight a guy that missed weight? No problem. Here's Shafkat. But as far as this matchup is concerned, you know, it's interesting because look at the odds, right? Again, back to how we were talking about how we never had a, a you know dog odds on Yanez. We've also never had dog odds on Petrosky. Now, Michelle Pereira moving up to middleweight is not a red flag in my eyes. The guy was a fucking massive welterweight he's already fought at middleweight in the past um so it's one of those things where i think he's gonna feel at home but what makes it interesting is that you know how good is his grappling really now i think i'm sure it's fine he trains with the right people att he's surrounded by great minds i don't think that he's just some fish but Petrosky's a D1 wrestler, right? Petrosky's a legit grappler. And Petrosky's a plus 170 dog. Um, but I do think that Michelle Pereira has been getting more mature. And then the big debate is, what about... Thank you, Grateful Dude. The quote was, adversity causes some men to break, others to break records. Thank you. That's the quote I was looking for. And that's uh, what I'm wondering with uh, Yanez. You know, after the font fight, is he the one that breaks or is he the one that goes on to break records, right? So just something to something to ponder. Oh, and Sean K corrected me. Petrosky was a huge underdog against Nick Maximov. Uh good, good point. And when he was a huge underdog, he choked him out in like under a minute, right? So thank you for bringing that to my attention. I even forgot that fight happened. <laughs> Nick Maximov was like a, a, a distant memory, right? 
So Michelle Pereira, he's kind of calmed down the antics a little bit, you know, not as much backflips, not as much, you know, showtime kicks and stuff like that. And I mean, and I think it makes sense why, you know, he's got some more seasoning under his belt. He realizes that, hey, like I can make a run at this. I can be a top 15 guy. He's got the physical attributes. Um, he's got a lot of skills. He's just a wild man. Um, but you've seen these kind of wild fighters. They can reach the top 10. Johnny Walker reached the top 10. Um, there's a few others that I can't remember off the top of my head, but these kind of just like wild card guys that get somewhat meme-esque finishes that you know that's what people like to say but what's interesting is that most of uh michelle Pereira's wins in the ufc have been decisions so it's not like he's just reliant on knockouts he's won most of his fights by decision but he's been out for a while man uh the last time he fought was in may of 2022 so it's been over a year not saying that you know not saying he's not going to look like himself or anything like that, but it's just something to take note of. And uh, Petrosky, you know, he's kind of hit or miss, man. Like that fight with Gerald Mearshart, I do think Petrosky edged out two of the rounds, but I also thought that shit started to get a little sketchy in that fight. And, and the reason I bring that up is because you look at his fight with Wellington Terman, and I felt like that was a big step in the right direction. You know, Wellington Terman, um, you know, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too. And it was actually Petrosky who kind of weathered an early storm. And Petrosky was the one who had the black belt in the bad spots, the compromising spots in the second and third rounds and really pushed that pedal to the metal. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow. like, And, and he's got a couple third-round finishes too um, in the UFC, granted, against much lower competition. But I thought that maybe he had – the, the whole cardio talk about Petrosky, right? Because we're not criticizing his grappling. There's nothing to criticize there. It was that he can go balls to the wall, which that style requires a lot of energy. And as a result, you're, you're going to fade. You're gonna fade. That, that's just the bottom line. Um, and so the Terman fight was a big step in the right direction. But then the Mearshart fight, I felt like he kind of resorted back to his old ways. But, you know, he still just had a bit of youth and, you know, not as many miles he was able to get past that one here with michelle Pereira, who's flat out in his prime it's going to be interesting because we don't know how michelle's going to react if he gets put on his back um but what if he's able to stuff here i mean i think that he can really put it on petrosky but i'm not sure it, it, it's a tough one to call it really is and, and it's even tougher because of the odds you know it actually opened petrosky minus 225 and Pereira was plus 190. And I know that was only around for a second, but look, if you got Pereira plus 190, you actually got to get something down on that, or you got Pereira, you know, minus 120, whatever, a pick em, like something like that. Like, okay, I get that, but minus 200, you better be pretty fucking confident that he's just going to shut down Andre Petrosky's game. Now, Petrosky is taking this on short notice. Does that mean that? You know, he's coming in for a paycheck, or does that mean he's been training and waiting for an opportunity and he's going to be in shape? So, yeah, this one I don't know. So when I don't know, I usually take the dog, and I think at these odds it is a dog or pass situation, but as a pure pick, I'll go with Michelle Pereira because I do think he's the more talented guy, and I actually think middleweight might be the right weight class for him, but it's not one of my more confident picks. So, yeah, that's what I got to say regarding that. Now, next up on the main card, we have an 130-pound catchweight 
rematch between Edgar Chirez. He's 10 and 5, taking on Daniel De Silva, Daniel Miojo De Silva Lacerda, who's 11 and 5. Currently, they got it. Edgar Chirez minus 340. The comeback on Daniel De Silva is plus 280. So, what's up, Leo? So, this is an interesting fight because I bet Lacerda the first time at plus 180, and then it ends up closing in the plus 200s. And I pride myself on getting the best of it, you know, nine out of 10 times. And this is one of those times where I didn't get the best of it. So I was really pissed off about that. And then here, the same fucking thing happened. I was thinking to myself, well, if I was willing to bet him at plus 180, then I'll definitely bet him at plus 255. So I bet him at plus 255. And now, and now he's fucking plus 280. So damn, I, I literally two fights in a row with, with these two, Edgar Shires and Daniel Da Silva. I've uh, not gotten the best of the line, which, you know, I'm not happy about. But that being said, what did I take away from their first fight? Well, it, it didn't last that long for starters. I mean, let's get down to how long it actually lasted. So the first fight lasted about, you know, slightly under four minutes. Looked like Shiraz was getting the better of the exchanges. Uh, Lacerda landed a takedown in that spot. But the fight didn't really materialize the fight didn't really get a chance to marinate like we we didn't we didn't really know what was going to happen regarding the choke um it's tough to say because certain angles seem like his arm went limp other angles seem like super early stoppage he was definitely not out he was definitely he definitely didn't tap either but at, at the same time was it a matter of a few more seconds and then he would have tapped out right um because i just know as a grappler sometimes when a choke is in but you don't want to tap you know you can there's tricks you can do like whether it's a brazilian tap or just kind of letting your arms go limp to make the guy think that you're asleep he lets go and then you, you continue grappling like there's lots of sneaky tricks you can do uh but the bottom line is that i just don't think edgar shirez should be minus 340 against anyone on the roster so maybe like it's name of the cokehead you know ronderos or fucking malcolm gordon okay then then all right sure but the thing about De silva is i know that he's never won a ufc fight but he's shown glimpses in like all his fights that he does have skills he is talented it's just about putting it together on fight night hopefully uh six times the charm because I bet him here. And again, it's not like we're talking about a pick him. It's not like I'm laying chalk. We're talking about a plus 280 dog. I, I took him plus 255, but we're talking about a plus 280 dog. So, yeah, you know, show me, Shiraz, that you're really a close to minus 400 favorite in this spot, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I took the Silva again just because I need closure on this. I, I need to see what's really going to happen. Um, so, you've been in there with him once for a couple of minutes, you felt how it went. Let's see how you address it this time going forward. Not confident, but I like the odds. And at some point, this kid's either got to win a UFC fight or he's got to get released. And hopefully six times the charm. So I'll go Daniel, Miojo, De Silva, Lacerda for the big upset. Now next up, kicking off the main card, we got a prospect showdown between Christian Sirod Rodriguez. He's 9-1, and one, taking on Cameron Simon who's 9-0. Currently, they got it. Christian Rodriguez minus 140. The comeback on Cameron Simon is plus 120. So, 
really interesting fight. Two great prospects. I like both these guys a lot. I think that Christian Rodriguez is very composed in there. Um, I think he kind of has some of that like Sergio Pettis type striking style. And he's got that Mexican toughness where like you saw when uh, Raul Rosas took his back or even the bad spots he was in against um, JSP. He can overcome it, man. He, he's a very tough individual. And then I know it says his his output's kind of on the lower side, but I think a lot of that has to do with the matchups. Because if you think about it, like, let's go back to contender series. Cortez Jr., what's he trying to do? He's trying to hump his leg the entire time. Jonathan Pierce, what's he trying to do? He's trying to hump his leg the entire time. Joshua Weems, what's he trying to do? He's trying to hump his leg the entire time. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr., what's he trying to do? He's trying to hump his back the whole time. So we haven't seen Christian in there with an actual striker, which is the reason that the output's been on the lower side because he just has to defend takedowns the entire time. Whereas Cameron Simon is going to give him that striking match. So now I think that the output of Christian is going to be on the higher side in this matchup specifically because he finally isn't fighting someone that's just going to dive on his legs the entire time. Cameron Simon... Um, very unorthodox kicking game, and he's a very tough guy. He can take it, man. He was taking some hard shots against Mano Martinez in that first round, and although you know there are a lot of low blows, a lot of fouls, even in his fight prior against the Kozlo kid, lots of fouls, but whatever, man. At the end of the day, when we're betting on fights, take guys that cheat to win, right? So, But, I mean, as fans, we don't like it, but as betting men, we don't care as long as it's on the side we bet on. So I expect this to be a very competitive striking match between two prospects. I have been waiting for my opportunity to fade Simon, but I've been wanting it at, you know, at, at dog odds here. I have to lay a little chalk. So one can make the argument that the value is on Simon, but I think that Christian Rodriguez is just slightly a little bit cleaner, a little bit more well-rounded has fought the better level of competition um, and, and is ready to finally shine against someone that's going to give him the fight he wants. Finally, someone that's not going to just, you know, avoid the striking at all costs. Cameron's actually going to come out here and kickbox with him. And I think that's good for Christian Rodriguez. So I'm going to slightly lean with Christian Rodriguez to get this done. Now, headlining the prelims, we got Darren, the damage Elkins. He's 27 and 11, taking on TJ brown who is 17 and 10 currently they got it tj brown minus 180 the comeback on darren elkins is plus 155 so basically without sounding like an asshole <laughs> to put it nicely you got one guy in darren elkins who's completely washed up completely shot taking a guy taking on a guy in tj brown who's talented but is fucking idiot when he gets in the cage i'm not saying as like a person but just like as a fighter like some of the shit that this dude tj brown that happens in his fights like getting choked out by a guillotine from side control against um jordan griffin that last fight he was really putting it on algio and then boom fight goes south you know out of nowhere there's been so many instances like tj brown's a guy that like He's got skills. Like offensively speaking, I like his skills. Calf kicks, wrestling, submission ability. Like I think TJ Brown's a solid fighter. It's just TJ Brown ain't the brightest. He doesn't have the best chin. He gets dropped every single fight. 
but he's fighting the corpse of someone. I love me some Darren Elkins, uh, but Darren Elkins is washed up beyond belief. But it's just like when you lay this minus 185 on TJ Brown and he's dominating the entire fight, and then Darren Elkins has another one of his fucking comeback finishes like he had against Bechtick, like he had against Michael Johnson, like he's had against a lot of these guys. You got no one to blame but yourself. So for me, it's a total pass. I mean, look, there's a chance that TJ Brown makes this look easy. There's a chance that TJ Brown retires Darren Elkins, but there's also a chance that TJ Brown, you know, that that Arkansas brain comes into play and the guy makes one of the biggest bonehead mistakes he's ever made for like the umpteenth time, and he cost himself this fight. So for me, I have to stay away from it. But pure pick is TJ Brown because I think – if he fights to the best of his abilities, if he can just put it together for these 15 minutes or less, I mean, I think he can put damage on the damage. I think he can really hurt this guy. It's just you're dealing with an idiot, you know? Um, so can you trust him? I'm not going to trust him. But my pick will be TJ Brown because I really think Darren Hawkins is on his way out, man. I mean, he's been on his way out for so long. How much damage can you take? But you're just... I don't like to use the R word because, you know, I, I was less censored back in the day. But, you know, as you grow older, you have friends, you know, they got kids that, you know, and you just have to be more sensitive about certain things. So I'm not going to use it, but let's just put it this way. TJ Brown at times fights like a, you know, what, right? So I'm going to go TJ, but no, no, no bet here. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Tainara Lisboa. She's 6-2, and two, taking on Ravina Oliveira, who's 7-1. and one. Currently, they got it. Tainara Lisboa, minus 310. The comeback on Ravina Oliveira is plus 260. So, Tainara Lisboa, I was actually at her UFC debut against uh, Jessica Rose Clark. And I heard someone say that that was like some 50-50 fight. No, it wasn't <laughs> Tainara like won the first two rounds and then she finished her in the third. And Tainara is known for being a kickboxer and she went out there and choked out Jessica Rose Clark and it was in front of a crowd, so that had to elevate her confidence. With Ravina Oliveira, I, I like this girl. Um, she comes to bang. Um, <laughs> live dogs at Arkansas brain, pretty offensive, dude. All right, calm down, don't, don't be offended. It's tongue in cheek, you know. But I, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. You'll be okay. Uh, but uh, Ravina Oliveira, what I like about her is that she's physical. She comes to fight. And I do think that she's going to win some UFC fights. The technique is a bit on the sloppier side. But in women's MMA, you can get away with some of that, especially when you have some power, right? Um, and she does have some power. She's got a very thick lower body, which, you know, that's where you generate that power from. And uh, she seems like she's got a lot of heart, and she seems like she's going to go for it. So it might be a dogger pass situation at these odds. I'm just not sure because I think Tainara Lisboa is a lot more technically sound. Um, but Ravina kind of, she's got that dog in her, right? And she's got that kind of like, it's not the most technical, but she's got that wild aggression that you can get away with in women's MMA. And there's going to be some spots where she gets away with it. And 
I'm curious if this is one of those at, at these odds. Because um, she doesn't seem like she has any quit in her. It seems like she, like, this ain't like Jessica Rose Clark, who's completely on her way out. Like, Rina Oliveira is going to go for it. But I think Tainara is a bit more, like I said, technically sound, a bit more composed, has been in the UFC before. So I'll pick her for that reason. But minus 310, I'm not interested. I think it's a, it's a dogger pass situation. So, yeah. And next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Terrence McKinney, who's 14 and 6, taking on Brandon Marote, who is 8 and 1 making his UFC debut. Currently, they got it. Terrence McKinney, minus 525. The comeback on Brendan Marote is plus 400. So, you all know the deal with, with Terrence McKinney. For the most part, first rounder bust. Goes balls to the wall, and if you're not quite on the level, he's going to get you out of there pretty damn quick. But anytime that this man's gone past the first round, shit's gotten sketchy, and he falls apart. The issue with this guy he's fighting, so Brandon Moreau, he's a tough guy. He comes from the New England cartel, and um, you look at his last fight, right? He took on this guy with an 11-20 and 20 record. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being cute. I'm not being funny. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm serious. He fought a guy with an 11-20 and 20 record, and there's two ways you can look at this. So the fight starts off, and that 11-20 and 20 guy easily takes down Brandon Moreau full mounts him like i'm talking about a guy with an 11 and 20 record was full mounting brandon moreau so that's the negative that this guy can go through early adversity because terrence mckinney gets you in those early spots and i think that you know i think that he's probably going to finish you but brandon moreau ends up weathering that early storm and then he really puts it on the guy and gets him out of there so he showed me toughness and I, I've, I've made this joke a lot of times when I bet on people that, you know, are, are fighting Terrence McKinney. I'm like, hey, uh, hey, Nazim Sadikov, just get me to round two. Hey, uh, Chris Duncan, who was supposed to fight Terrence McKinney. Hey, Chris, just get me to round two. So is it the same thing here with, with Brendan Marot? Hey, Brendan, just get me to round two. Is it that simple? Um, but the thing is just the visuals of a real bum, an 11 and 20 guy, right? full mounting this guy and having his way with him for half the first round makes me think that Terrence McKinney can get that first round finish here, you know, and then we'll get a really good opportunity to fade him. Um, anytime he fights anyone legit, the thing is if this goes past round one and Brandon is not severely compromised. All bets are off the table. So I personally do not trust Terrence McKinney at these odds. He will be my pick. I think that this is the kind of opponent that he should beat. Um, and I hope that he wins, too, because that'll make it two wins in a row, hopefully two finishes in a row. And then we're going to get good odds to fade Terrence McKinney because people are going to act like he's back. No, he's not back. He just got two first-round finishes over two bums, you know? Um, and then we'll get a chance to fade him against a real guy, and it'll be glorious because we know Terrence McKinney, it's kill or be killed. It's first-round or bust. You know that. Um, now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Russian Ronda, Irina Alexeva. She's 5-1, and one, taking on Melissa Dixon, who's 5-0. and oh. Currently, they got it. Melissa Dixon, minus 150. The comeback on Russian Ronda is plus 130. So if you all haven't seen my breakdown video, my technique of the week of the Russian Ronda knee bar she hit on Stephanie Egger, 
it's on my channel. Go check it out. We broke it down. So here is kind of interesting because it opened minus 225 Russian Ronda, and all the action came in on Melissa Dixon. And now it's minus 150 Dixon plus 130 Arena Alexiva. So I was like, all right, what's the deal here? So um first I watched Russian Ronda, and man, like we remember the knee bar, but like, dude, she was lighting up Stephanie Egger on the feet, like, and she's aggressive. She goes for it. She's got, you know, to put this in like a respectful way, kind of like manlier qualities that you like to see on people you bet on in women's MMA, you know, kind of more brute strength, kind of more aggression, kind of more power, kind of more finishing ability that you like to see, especially in these kind of early stages of women's MMA. And Melissa Dixon, let me tell you what, on the feet, Melissa, Melissa Dixon is a walking punching bag. But what Melissa Dixon has, is she has a lot of toughness. And if she can eventually get on top, she's very heavy on top. And she's able to kind of work her way back into these fights. But if you watch that last fight she had against that Russian girl, firstly, that was an early stoppage. And, and secondly, seemed like that Russian girl just quit when Melissa got on top of her. Now, is that credit to Melissa just so heavy on top that, you know, you hit this girl with everything you had and then she gets on top of you. It's discouraging this and that. I understand. But that striking defense I saw from Melissa Dixon ain't going to fly at the UFC level, maybe against some really lower level opponents. Right. But for the most part, that shit is not going to fly. Like I'm talking non-existent non-existent striking defense and the takedowns weren't that impressive either and it's not like uh russian ronda some slouch on the mat like you saw that knee bar that was high level against like a real judoka too you know someone that tracy cortez didn't submit you know um so honestly man i'm gonna go with the upset here i'm gonna go with russian ronda i'm probably gonna better at plus 130 yeah, I just think that she's going to light this girl up standing. And my hope is that if Dixon gets on top of her, that hopefully uh, Russian Ronda with a name like that, hopefully she'll have something waiting for her on the mat too. Because, you know, Dixon, what the hell has she proven to be a favorite in a UFC fight? You know, Unless you were talking about like, what's the name of the person that fought? Um, Hamzat's girlfriend, uh, Marnik Mann or, or some shit. Yeah, okay, against Marnik, man, yeah, you should definitely be a favorite there. But, like, what's she done to be a favorite in this spot? I think the aggression of Irina Alexeva, Russian Ronda, is going to be too much. I think she's going to light her up. And I'm just hoping that if it does hit the mat and Melissa gets on top, that Irina, Irina has something waiting for her there, just like she did for Stephanie Egger. So I'm going to go with Russian Ronda for the upset. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Chris Gutierrez. He's 19-4-2, taking on Alatang Haile, who is 16-8-2. Interesting that both of them have uh, two draws on their records. Currently, holy shit, yo, holy fucking shit. They got Chris Gutierrez minus 435. The comeback on Haile Alatang is plus 335. And I want you all to know, similar to some of these other fights, like the Petrovsky fight, like the Russian Ronda fight, Gutierrez opened plus 190. Like, how? I don't understand. I remember I saw that and I messaged my buddy. I was like, bro, like, this is definitely the fight Chris Gutierrez should run circles around this guy. I mean, like, I bet on Montel Jackson against Chris Gutierrez last week. Fight got canceled. I like 
you know, to pick against Gutierrez there. But here I have to pick Gutierrez. The only issue is the price has gotten out of control to us to a point where, from a betting perspective, this is a dog or pass situation. I do think this is the kind of opponent Chris Gutierrez can kind of dance around him, leg kick him, you know, run around the ring, just kind of slightly land the more impactful shots, stuff some takedowns, and and just run away with this decision more often than not. Um, but now we're we're approaching odds where, I mean, at plus three thirty five, it's like, like I, I favor Chris, but like to what extent, right? Like I might favor Chris, you know, minus two twenty five, minus two fifty, okay, but minus four thirty five, I mean, you gotta, you can. I would personally not parlay Chris, even though I'm picking him to win. It's a dog or pass situation. My pick is Chris. I, like I said, take the odds away. I think historically this is one of those fights where he can dance around this guy, probably win a decision. Um, but these odds are trash. So, you know, you know, you don't bet trash odds, period. And last but not least, kicking off the card in the strawweight division, we got Ashley Yoder, who is 8-8 eight and, eight and taking on Emily Ducote, who's 12-8. and eight. Currently, they got it. Emily Ducote, minus 350. The comeback on Ashley Yoder is plus 275. And this one opened minus 600, Emily Ducote. And, like, again, like, I think Emily Ducote should win this fight, but, like, what's Emily Ducote done in the UFC to be this big of a favorite over anyone? I mean, like, you know, she got by Jessica Panay, you know, com- competitive fight, but... Ducote pulled away with those leg kicks, and then she just got fucking completely like exposed her next two fights. Granted, it's better competition than Yoder. Yoder's been out for a long time. Yoder isn't exactly the toughest, but from time to time, Yoder will surprise you. Uh, from time to time, I heard someone say Yoder beat Random Marcos. No, she did not. Yoder lost a split decision to Random Marcos, but uh. From time to time, Yoder will surprise you. I just don't think Yoder's the t- the toughest. Um, Yoder will um, do her best work in the grappling, of course. You know, get a judo throw, get on top, try to set up an armbar, do the whole bit. I thought that a few years back, Yoder actually performed better against Mackenzie Dern than a lot of these other girls, which is interesting to see back then. But Yoder coming off a massive layoff. I already thought she was on her way out. Ducote badly, desperately needs to get back in the win column. And... Yoder isn't going to present those problems that Lupi Godinez and Angela Hill presented uh, to Dakota. Um, Yoder doesn't have that insane output on the feet. She doesn't have that pressure, and and she'll wilt in spots. So this is a fight where Emily Dakota can play her kind of you know low paced game. And I say low paced game. She put up good numbers her last fight, but historically speaking, it's a bit of a low paced game. But she did put up good numbers last fight. And uh, she put up good numbers in her debut too. So I mean, I say low-paced fight, but according to the numbers, that's not true. Um, but yeah, I think the leg kicks are going to be a big problem for Ashley Yoder. I think that the the combinations on the feet, it's just you can't let Ashley Yoder, you know, get on top of you. I mean, maybe you can survive, but that's where Ashley Yoder has a chance. And at these odds, another dogger pass situation. Um, you just cannot be laying minus 400 on Emily Ducote, in my humble opinion. I'm not going to be. You know, If I'm laying minus 400, um, I need to be absolutely sure that it's going to be a destruction. You know, And I'm not sure of that. 
And again, like we were talking about with Murata and Vanessa Demopoulos last week. Yeah, all of us scored it for Murata, right? But when I broke the fight down and, and I said, hey, listen, it's like minus 350, minus 400 Murata. Are you going to be surprised if Vanessa gets an armbar from guard? Are you going to be surprised if Vanessa wins a controversial split decision? And guess what? She won a controversial unanimous decision. Not, not split, unanimous so I'm just saying, man, a fight like this, I would not lay this kind of chalk on someone like Ducote, although I am picking her to win this fight. All right, so I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then after that, I'm down to answer a couple questions, and then I'm going to go uh, watch the Braves uh, slap around the Phillies in Philadelphia. So... The fight to watch, besides the main event, I think the fight to watch has to be Jonathan Martinez versus Adrian Yanez. These are two of the premier up-and-coming strikers in the Bantamweight division, but they have different styles. Yanez with his, with his nice boxing for MMA. Jonathan Martinez with that beautiful step-through knee, his kicks from distance. It's going to be a chess match on the feet. Someone might hit the deck. It might go all three and be a fight of the night. I love this matchup. And for that reason, Yanez versus Martinez is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is going to be Michelle Pereira. Listen, you blew that opportunity against Wonderboy, even though I personally think Wonderboy should have taken the fight anyways, but he wanted no part of you. And, and as a result, here's your punishment. You're fighting Shafkat now. But you're moving up to a weight class where I do think you have business. I do think Michelle Pereira has business as at 185. He was a massive 170 pounder. Now he's not going to have to, he's still going to cut weight. He's just not going to have to cut as much weight. And Petrovsky is no easy out. Like Petrovsky, for better or for worse, he is a tough out. And he's going to push Michelle Pereira. And this is the kind of test Michelle Pereira needs um, to really prove his worth. He hasn't fought too many grapplers in the UFC yet. Um, he hasn't fought anyone that is going to say, I'm not trying to stand with you. I'm, I'm trying to hump your legs, you know? And let's see how he responds to that. So, I'm very intrigued by that. So for that reason, Michelle Pereira is my fighter to watch. All right. I'm going to scroll up to the top. Y'all do me a huge favor. Hit that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button for me if you're not already subscribed. When this is over, please leave me a comment. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to share as well. I really appreciate it. And if you all have any people you want me to have on as guests, let me know as well. I'm always looking for a good guest, but it's got to be a quality guest. Like, if you look at the last couple of months, I've had all, I think pretty much all of my guests have been quality. Um, and that's what I want someone that knows what the fuck they're talking about, but someone that's not going to kiss my ass, someone that's not afraid to go on the opposite side of me, someone that's not afraid to debate me, someone that's going to entertain the fans, but give good information at the same time. Those are the kind of guys I'm looking for. So let me know. Uh, if there's some people that you want to see back that I've already had before, or if there's some up and comers that I've never had on the show before that you think I should give a shot to. So let me know. All right. Now I'm going to read your y'all's comments and answer them. Daticus testiculus said half the battle with the green dog snipe. Yeah. That's gotta be my best bet of the year. That, that plus three ninety on Bobby green. Um, I just wish I went bigger on it, but I was very proud of myself um, that I didn't, back down from my stance and I said what I had to say on that last episode. And, you know, 
I wasn't like, well, I'm picking Grant, but at these odds, I'll take Green. No, no, no. I picked Green, and I bet Green, and I'm very proud of myself for that. Lou Betcher said, what up, foo? I have the shoe picked out for our bet. I don't like my odds. I don't like your odds either, but you never know, so let's see what happens. Uncle Wheezy, sup, boss? Sup, my guy? We got to get you back on here soon. Shady said, got you on the job site radio. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Rob said, Artie Piff checking in from Chicago. Let's get it. Chai Town in the house. You love to see it. Dick's Insider said, can, Dan, can I count Acuna and Harris to get hits tonight? The, the beautiful thing about the Braves is that one through nine, anybody is liable to, to do damage at any point, not just Acuna and Harris. I'd love to see Acuna and Harris, but you can't sleep on Albies, Riley, Olsen, Arcia. I mean, Ozuna. So anyone in our lineup is dangerous. That's why we were the best team in the regular season. And I'd love for us to be the best team in the postseason too. Shady says he likes my, my Nick Diaz. Don't be scared. Homie shirt. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Live dog said Edson is a lock after Bobby green, you know, Edson beat Bobby green back in the day, but, um, and this one I'm betting Sodiq Yusuf. Um, Matt Campbell said, happy birthday week, my brother. I appreciate everything you do, man. Thanks, Matt. And I, I appreciate you just taking the time to not only be here and watch the show, but to wish me a happy birthday. Thank you, man. Um, Armchair said, Barboza can't fight moving backwards. He tries circling around to reset. I know, and that tires him out a lot. And I think Sodique's going to put that pressure on him. Um, Matt Campbell said, I need to figure out a better approach to my bet size. You can DM me privately. Um, I'll, I'll send you my number and uh, you can call me and I'll tell you my opinion, like my philosophy on bet sizing and, you know, just give you my two cents and maybe it'll help you out. Um, Pasha Boyer said, excuse my language, but no fucking way Yanez is losing. Dude has more power, more volume, technically more durable. I appreciate that, but let's not jinx it, bro. Let's not jinx it, okay? It's still MMA, so let's not jinx it. Um, Sean said, Dan, great breakdowns today, but are you ready for three home runs from Bryce Harper today? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but if you want to put money on it, I'll bet you that that doesn't happen. And uh, Nando Lal says, why do we fall so we can get up? Yep. Adversity causes some men to break and others to break records. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jayon, I don't know how to pronounce your name, says, if Pereira can stop the takedowns or get back up quickly, he will be the best striker. If that fight stays on the ground, will be a long night for Pereira. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I would not be surprised by either. Sean K said, are you worried that sometimes these welterweights that just go that go up to middleweights are just more skilled? Feels like middleweights are one of the worst skill-wise. Um, well, more so than the skills, I think it's just that dramatic weight cut. Because, like, um, I, I think there's a lot of skilled guys at middleweight. I do agree with you that the rankings need to be reshifted. Like, Marvin Vittori being a top five guy is a joke in my eyes. But when you look at middleweight, I mean, Strickland, super skilled. Adesanya, skilled. Duplessis, it looks ugly as fuck, but he does have skills. Whitaker, super skilled. So I think that you just got to take it person by person. 
Um, Sean K says, it's just difficult to see you go life and death with GM3 standing. You know, he's referring to Petrovsky. But he saw Ponzinibbio take Pereira down. Yeah, I know. that. That's why it's such an intriguing fight. Um, Narashi says, shoot the box fighters, just lose. That's bullshit. I mean, yeah, Mateus Mendonce lost, and some guys lose. But I mean, what about Alain Nascimento? What about Charles Oliveira? What about Daniel Willicat Santos? You can't just make blanket statements like that. You got to take it fighter by fighter. Um, my boy Finesse the Book says, we appreciate you, my guy. Hit the like button. I'll let you all know now. My buddy Finesse the Books is going to be joining me on the Jailton Almeida versus Derek Lewis card to break down that one. So I'm excited to have you on, my friend. Um. Cloud says, the question is, will Yusuf throw the fight like Dawson did last week, as some speculated? It's funny because Dawson's been knocked out in 30 seconds before back in the day, too. Nah, Dawson got knocked out fair and square, man. And I think that he respected Bobby Green so much. Like, you see the way he was acting all week, talking about how you slid in Bobby's DMs as a fan back in the day, and Bobby responded. I think he was low-key, like, intimidated because you got to understand, this is the first guy that – you know, Dawson had been in there with that's like a real OG. I know Leo Santos is an OG, but like Leo Santos is like what 43 or some shit. And Leo Santos, while we respect him, he was more of like an underground kind of guy. But Bobby Green has been in some high profile fights. So I think that this was a big experience for for Grant Dawson. Hopefully he can bounce back. Um, but like I told y'all, Grant Dawson was never a top 10 guy. <laughs> you know, I thought that that was total bullshit. Who the fuck has he beaten in the rankings to to be a top 10 guy the 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 ghost of ismagulov who re, who retired a year prior stop you know abu dhabi says bobby green better the year i agree um do, he also asked me do you like atl tonight motherfucker what do you think <laughs> you, you think i would listen to me you think i would ever root for any other team except my own now, I'll tell you who I want us to play in the World Series. I want to see us versus the Rangers. I've been saying that all year. I really like what the Rangers have done, built their new team from the ground up, and they got aspirations. They locked in a lot of guys to long-term contracts, and I'm excited to see what the Rangers do, but Braves are the priority, always. Armchair says he thinks Martinez is a bit of a flake. Yeah, but when he shows up, he's he's someone to look out for, man. He's hell on wheels. Um, all right, last, last call for questions. If not, I'm getting out of here. Truly, sincerely appreciate all y'all support. Um, oh yeah. Someone brought up a good point about how, like, you know, the, the welterweights moving up to middleweight because they're like more skilled and stuff. And he said, well, you know, Strickland and Kelvin were once welterweights. That is, that is a valid point, but there's still guys like Izzy. We're very skilled, and I don't know. I'd have to pull up the rankings. I think Roman Dolidze has got some skills, uh, I think. But, yeah, I feel you. As, as a whole, welterweight is more stacked than middleweight. Now we got Hamzada middleweight, also a former welterweight. So you do, bring, you do bring up good points there. My boy, Ghost Gardner, much love and respect, Dan. I appreciate the content. I appreciate you, bro, and I hope you're doing all right. Um, all right. 
I think that's it. Thank you all so, so much for all your support. Truly, sincerely appreciate it. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. You can follow me at Half the Battle Pod on Instagram. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. If you support me, I'm always down to interact with you. But on Twitter, it doesn't show my notifications unless I follow you. So if I don't follow you, slide in my DMs. Um, and uh, I'm always down to chat with anyone that has my back. So thank you guys again for all the support. Best of luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.